Okay, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your Bible, thank you, Kyle. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 23. Luke chapter 11, 14 through 23. So Luke writes, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast out, cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if, it, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, again. Father God, again, we thank you for uh, this day. We thank you um, for mothers on this day. And we thank you for uh, the way uh, they minister in our lives. God, the great care and, and protection and provision um, that they show us throughout our entire lives. God, I know um, personally, and I'm sure it is the witness of, of many people in here, that it is um, from from the mouth of their mother that they heard the gospel the first time, that they know who, know who Jesus Christ is because of, of um, their mothers. Father, we are... Um, we are so thankful for, for the, the myriad testimonies that people would have about um, how uh, good their mothers were, how you used them in their lives, and how you showed them Jesus Christ through their mothers. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the, those, the blessings that come to us um, through our parents, through family. Um, God, and we ask that we would be, um, especially on this day when we dedicate these children to you, Lord, um, that we would be the kind of parents that our children would look back on and say, uh, my mother, my father showed me Jesus Christ. Um, they taught me who he was and taught me his word. Um, God, that they lived a life um, that honored Jesus Christ and led me in the footsteps of Christ. Fathers, we open your word. We thank you for your word. Um, we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would shine a light on our hearts and on this text. God, that you would... Um, God, if there's a way that we need to be corrected, that you would correct us. If we need to be encouraged, that you would encourage us. God, if we need to be rebuked in something that we have, uh, a way that we have lived or a way that we have thought, God, that you would use this passage to, to rebuke us, to correct us, to draw us into right understanding. God, some of us need to be encouraged today. So we ask that you would use this to that effect. God, whatever it is in each one of our lives that, that you are doing, um, we ask that, uh, that the spirit would, would speak to our hearts and that we would um, understand this passage as you would have us. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so so most of you guys are probably aware of the, the title um, that the First World War was given at the time. So during the, the course, course of the First World War, it was called by many the Great War. 
Um, it was also at the time called the War to End All Wars. Um, the death toll in that war was uh, somewhere in the range, 40 million plus. And after the, the horrificness and, and the carnage of that war, people thought, this is the war to end all wars. We, we've, we've finished this. This, this. It won't happen again. And then obviously we know it wasn't either the war to end all wars or it, in, in many ways it wasn't even the Great War because 25 years later the Second World War happened. It was even greater with more nations covering more of the world and the death toll almost doubling, approaching um, or more than doubling, approaching 85 million people killed in that war. But here's the reality is, the reality is, is that neither the First World War nor the Second World War is truly the Great War. There is a greater war that has been going on since before human history. The ultimate war, the war that is in some way, the, the, that all other wars are a function of that war in some way. And that is the rebellion of Satan and his followers against the dominion of God the Father and his Christ. And so what we find as we read the scriptures, and especially as we've seen over and over again, as Jesus has encountered the demonic in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' life and ministry is the decisive campaign in that war, that great war against the forces of evil. Sometimes when we in the church start talking about spiritual warfare and we talk about the church in terms of military kind of verbiage, people get a little uncomfortable with that. They don't like talking about Christian things and spiritual things in terms of warfare. But the reality is, is when you read this passage, the warfare language in it is explicit. The illustration is of, of, of uh, militarism, you could say, is, is pretty distinct and decisive. It talks about a kingdom that is in conflict. It talks about attacking. It talks about armor. It talks about these spoils of war and things like that. And so you may not like warfare language. It may kind of rub you the wrong way. But the war is upon you whether you would choose it or not. You are in that war by virtue of the fact that you are a human and more importantly by the fact that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says in this passage, and I think this is the, the key of the passage, he says it's time to pick a side. And there's only two choices in this war. There's only two forces. There's only two sides. Jesus, Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. That's the only two choices. Look down to the very bottom of the passage. We're going to kind of go, in a sense, backwards. We're going to start at the end because I think the last thing Jesus says is the key interpretive passage for this, this section. Jesus says in verse 23, pretty blatantly, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather scatters. All right? Notice there's not much middle ground in that. There's no middle ground in that. There is no Switzerland in, in the story of this great war. You cannot remain neutral in it. There is no non-committal middle ground between faith and unbelief. There's no such thing as that. Jesus says, you are either with me or you are against me. You either gather or what does he say? He doesn't say, or you sit there and do nothing. He says, no, no, you scatter. You are intentionally about the business of undoing what I have been doing. If you are not under his lordship, you are undermining his mission. 
and he, as he attempts to gather the sheep, you are the, 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 the child coming behind them and trying to scatter them and, and let them back out again. And so Jesus is saying in this passage, it's time to pick a side. The evidence has been prevent, presented. Jesus' power and authority has been displayed throughout the gospel of Luke so far. And yet the people in Israel and people in our time still hesitate. That's exactly the situation we see. Jesus has performed here, again, another exorcism. We've seen Jesus perform any number of miracles in the first ten chapters of the Gospel of Luke. Verse 14 says that he that he has uh, cast out a mute demon. And when it says mute demon, the implication is, is that he is a demon that causes muteness, not a demon that is mute himself. But this man has been healed, and he can speak now. And the whole observing community marvels at this. But then it says this in verse 15. It says, but some of them said, well, he casts out demon by Beelzebub or Beelzebul, the prince of the demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So I think in those two passages, verse 15 and 16, we have two different arguments from, from skeptics, two different arguments from people who will not pick a side. And I would kind of suggest that that's the way that skeptics always fall into, the categories that, that they always fall into, and the ways that we fall into, too, when we are hesitating on following Jesus in the way that we know we're supposed to. In verse 15, we see the naysayer. All right, in verse 15, we see the naysayer. In verse 16, we see, we're going to call him the agnostic. The naysayer and the agnostic. Both of them kind of non-committal in this situation, both skeptical on how to respond to Jesus. So Jesus has just cast out this demon, and he and, and it would seem to be the implication, right? If you can cast out a demon, if you can go against the power of Satan and overpower Satan and, and remove this demon, then certainly that must indicate that you are on the side of God, right? That you have the power of God working for you. Nay, says the naysayer. That's not what it indicates. It is only evidence of the fact that Jesus is casting out demons by the power of the demonic. He's using Satan's own power to cast out uh, demons, the naysayers tell us. So here's the deal. The naysayer what? They always have another explanation. There is some other explanation that makes all of this make sense. They won't argue with what they saw. They won't argue with it because they won't say, oh, that didn't really happen or something like that. But they'll argue that something else caused it. In this case, they're actually attributing Jesus' work to the work of the enemy. And Jesus' rebuke of those people is interesting. It's twofold, and, and man, it makes a lot of sense to the way, the, the way we think, too, or the way we should think. So to these naysayers, Jesus says this. First, he demonstrates the implausibility of their explanation. So what does he say? He says, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? So he tries to explain. They're saying, no, Jesus, you're not casting out demons by, by God. You're casting them out by Satan. And he says, yeah, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Because if I'm casting them out by Satan, then Satan is at war with himself, and his kingdom is going to collapse, and this thing is, is, is already over. Satan's not that stupid. He doesn't work that way. And so he starts by kind of saying, telling them the implausibility of their other, um, their, their other explanation. 
If Satan is casting out Satan, his kingdom is done for. You see, they reject Jesus' interpretation, but the reality is, is their interpretation is dumber. All right? They have a worse idea. Oftentimes we see that in, in all kinds of things in, in our world. So, so the excuse that the naysayer gives us is less plausible than the explanation that the Bible gives us. So I'll give you an example. So uh, obviously Christians believe that God created the universe. He created the world. He created people. He put people here. Um, there's, there's a famous uh, scientist named Francis Crick. You may remember him from, from your high school biology class because him and another guy named Watson were the ones that discovered the, the DNA double helix. Okay. And so they, they're, they're major kind of scientists. And when they have looked at the complexity of life and, and, and the crazy intricacy of the DNA structure and how that could have possibly come together through natural evolutionary forces or something like that, Crick has basically come back and said, there's not any way that that could have happened. It couldn't have happened by natural forces, you know, just randomly coming together in terms of evolution. And so Crick has put forward an idea that's called panspermia. Panspermia means all seed. And what it means is that probably an intelligent being outside of our galaxy or outside of our planet, an alien force has gone through the whole universe and seeded planets with, with the, the DNA molecules and the, and the right conditions for life. And he's gone throughout the entire galaxy and, and seeded life on different planets. Okay. So that one day that already partially evolved little piece of DNA or whatever could turn into a human being or something. Okay. So, so this is a great example to me. Okay. So the idea that, uh, that God would put life on a planet is absurd, right? We can't believe that. So what's the alternative explanation? That aliens did. That aliens traveled all through the galaxy, putting little people parts on all the different planets, just hoping that one day, randomly, some people would spring up from that. Okay? And you go, man, that's dumber. Okay? That's a dumber idea. I get if you're having trouble believing that there's an all-powerful God that put us here, but your explanation is not even as good as that. Jesus points to that. He says, it doesn't, what you're saying to me doesn't make sense. This idea that I'm casting out de demons by the power of Satan, it doesn't make any sense. No, the better explanation is what Jesus tells us is actually happening. Verse 21. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he is trusted and divides his spoils. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, no, the obvious answer is, is that I'm more powerful than the demonic. And if I'm more powerful than the demonic and there's only two sides, then that means I'm with God. I'm on his side. The power that I cast out demons through is, is God's power. That's the thing that makes the most sense. Jesus casts out demons because he's stronger. Plain and simple. And because ultimately this great war, he is the, the conquering king that is coming. He must be from God. So that's the first thing. Jesus confronts the naysayer by saying, your alternative answer is dumber than mine. Okay? He also confronts him, though, on his own bias and the method by which he judges things. Notice what he says 
to, to these uh, Pharisees and, and teachers who were there. He says, for I say that I cast out, if, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast them out by the Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because the reality is, is this. Apparently there were other exorcists going around. There were other Jewish men, men of faith, men who were, um, who were, who were in, you know, a right relationship with God, who were going and, and through their prayer, um, were casting out demons, right? Demons would leave people who were, who were possessed by demons. Okay. And apparently that was going on. But Jesus says, you know what? When one of your followers, when one of the, one of, one of the Jews, one of the Pharisees, one of the, the people like that, when they go and try to cast out a demon and it works, your immediate Answer for that is not, oh, well, this guy must be of the devil. That's why he can do these things. No, you assume that that Pharisee or whoever is working in accordance with God and and is getting his power from God. And he says, so what's the deal with that bias there? Why is it that since I'm not a part of your tribe, I'm not a part of your clique of people, how come you immediately assume that I'm in the wrong when you assume that your people are in the right? And so so, so he points to their bias and he says, to the naysayer, we always have to say, why do you use two different measuring sticks to, me- to judge by? When you judge me, you use one, but when you judge your own people, you, you use another one. And so Jesus is, is attacking and rebuking the, the, the naysayer's position in this. And obviously we could go into lots of different examples and, and we could, each situation would be different, but Jesus is sort of looking at this as a, I think he's given us almost like a paradigm to say, when there's someone who just wants to be a naysayer, Ask if their answer is any better, because it's probably not, and then question their biases. Why is it that the way they judge you is different from the way they would judge their own answers and attitudes? So two, um, or or the next thing that we see. Um, oh, no, yeah, 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 sorry, I skipped a whole piece. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. That's why I've got to go back to it, because it's always C.S. Lewis. Uh, you gotta, you, you can't skip the C.S. Lewis part. So, so Lewis talks about this idea. He says, he says, you know, there's this, there's this bias where you're always seeing through everything, right? That, that you're as, as a naysayer, when anything is presented to you, you say, Oh, that's not really what's going on. Let me tell you what's really going on. I can see through this, this thing that, this answer that you have. I can see through that to, to this other thing. But the problem is, is this. You can always see through something. You can always try to explain it away. But if you keep on always seeing through things, then you just, the world is invisible, right? Because you just see through the next thing. The whole point of seeing through something is so that you can see what's behind it. But for the naysayer, there's never anything behind it. Because as soon as they see through that thing, then they see through the next thing. And they see through the next thing. And they see through the next thing. And there's nothing ever there. And so Lewis says this from, from The Abolition of Man. He says, you can't go on explaining everything away forever. You will find that you have to explain away explanation itself. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window is transparent because the street or the garden outside is opaque. But what if you saw through the garden too? It's no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. And that's the answer. For the naysayer, they will never see. Because there's always an explanation. There's always an excuse. There's always something to say, 
what I think I see is not what I see. I can see through that. So to the naysayer, Jesus says, your method and your alternative explanations are deficient. But then he also addresses this other guy. And I'm, and I'm calling this guy the agnostic. So the agnostic says, sure, I saw that, but I'm still going to need more information. I'm going to need more uh, data before I actually believe. And so this is that guy at the beginning in, in verse 16 who says, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven, as if doing the miracle in front of them, casting the demon out in front of them was not enough of a sign from heaven. Now they, they say, I need, I need another sign. I need more. How many miracles does it take? How many demons have to be cast out? How many mute people have to be healed? And the reality with the agnostic is always one more. I need just a little more information. I need a little more evidence. I always need more. Last week we talked about the persistence in prayer. We have to realize that there is an opposite. There is a persistence in unbelief in the world. There is an unbelief that wants to keep on unbelieving. Jesus in other passage, passages indicates that, that no amount of the size of a miracle, no amount of the numbers of a miracle is enough to turn, is enough to convince some people. Do you remember the story that we talked about of the rich man and Lazarus? Do you remember that story? And, and, and the rich man says, please send somebody back to my brothers and tell them about this, this heaven hell thing. Cause I'm in agony and I don't want them to be in agony. And, and what does he say? He says, well, they have the prophets. They have the scriptures. Let your brothers turn to those things to know these realities. And he says, no, 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 no. That's not enough. They need something more. If an angel went, then they would believe. And, and Jesus says, even if an angel were to go, they wouldn't believe. And in fact, even if someone were raised from the dead, they would not believe. Pointing to his own life and death and resurrection, right? For the agnostic, sometimes it's just never enough. And for both these two men, both the naysayer and the agnostic, what's interesting too is the burden of proof is on God for these people. They basically have the attitude, Jesus, if you're real, God, if you're real, you should make it 100% clear to me to whatever standard that I say I need. But Jesus seems to suggest the opposite here and all through the, the, the Bible. I think the rest of Scripture confirms the issue is not that the people don't have enough evidence. The reality is, is their hearts are hard. They don't want to believe. They're not interested in believing themselves. No belief is, is, uh, belief is never really, or unbelief is never really a function of ignorance. It's always a function of rebellion. It's a function of rejection. Nobody goes to hell because they just didn't have enough information. It's because they have rejected the information that they have. Stop and consider the incredible nature of what these people have experienced. They've seen Jesus doing these miracles. They've seen a man that they know has been mute for a certain amount of time, and then Jesus comes and he speaks, and all of a sudden this guy can talk out of nowhere. And what does Jesus say in verse 20? He says, but if the finger, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
It is obvious that I have power over the demonic. And it makes no sense that I would have power by anyone other than God. And if that is true, Pharisees and, and whoever else is standing there, naysayers, agnostics, the kingdom of God is here. It's standing in front of you. The time is now. And it's time to pick a side. You guys know that I'm a, a nerd. Um, and I'm, I've given you a C.S. Lewis quote. I'm not going to give you a Tolkien quote today, but I'm going to go towards Arthurian legend. Okay. So some of you guys, I don't, I don't know if you like that stuff, but, but you know the story of, of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And so maybe, I don't know if you know all the specifics and you've read some of those things, but, but the story of the way Lancelot comes into the fellowship is kind of a cool account. And, and there's different ones. It depends on which story you hear. Um, but in the story, basically, Lancelot's the greatest knight in the entire world. And he's so awesome that he doesn't feel like any king is worthy to have him as their knight. He wants one. He wants to be under a king who is worthy to have him as their knight. But he's basically like, if I can beat you in combat, then I should be the king, not you. And so basically, he goes all around the countryside just like getting in fights with people, trying to see if there's anybody who can best him. And so he's wandering the world looking for a challenger that's worthy of him. And until one day he meets Arthur, who by divine right has pulled this sword from the stone. And so Arthur and Lancelot get into a battle and Lancelot is beaten in the battle. Okay. But interestingly, it's not because Arthur is the better soldier necessarily. It's because he has this magic sword. Um, but here's the cool thing is that Lancelot doesn't care. Because what he recognizes is that sword represents the fact that this is the king who has been chosen by divine right. That the fact that he has the sword indicates that he's the one that we should follow. And so, man, he beat me. I'm still probably a better soldier than him, but it doesn't matter because he's the guy that I'm supposed to follow. The reality is, is that that's what Jesus is saying by his miracle, the miracles that he's working. He says, if I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, if I'm demonstrating the power of God like that, then what does that mean? It means the kingdom of God is at hand, that it has come, that it is standing in front of you, that Jesus is the kingdom of God in our midst. And if the kingdom is here and we're looking at the context of this great war, man, it's time to, it's time to enlist. It's time to step up and to follow Jesus in this process. The kingdom has come upon us. The time to hesitate is, is through. Naysayers, no more excuses. Look at what Jesus has done and believe. Agnostic. You want more evidence? The evidence is all there. One of these things should have been enough for you, but the evidence is all there. The kingdom is here and the time is now. So choose a side. Now, here's something interesting, because I think the case is for most of us, most of us in here have already chosen a side. We have already trusted in Jesus Christ. We have already aligned our lives with him. So what is this passage maybe calling us to? At the end of it, when he says, you're either with me or against me, that's that issue, I think, of saying, have you followed Christ or have you not followed him? But then there's that next line. And he says, you're either gathering with me or you are scattering. If we are not about the business of gathering, then even if we say we are for Jesus Christ, we are being part of the scatterers. So I think probably the case is, is, is 
for many of us, this is not a passage that says it's time to pick a side. It's a passage that says it's time to join the fight. Like it's time to get out there and start doing the things that we say we believe and are important. Again, thinking about World War II um, and, and the, the, uh, the, the fact that in many ways it is the great war of, of, of human history, right? It's, it is still, we haven't, we haven't topped it in terms of, of that. And both my grandfathers enlisted in, in that war. They both served um, in that war, uh, and neither of them were forced to. They weren't, they, weren't, um, uh, uh, they weren't drafted, right? They both enlisted into it. Why? Because both of them recognized the stakes at that time. Both of them recognized how big a deal it was and what was going on in Germany and what was going on in Japan and the cost and the stakes that were involved. And both of them said, the time is now, right? This is the moment that we have to do, step up and do something. And so they both did. And the reality is, is man, our calling on our lives in terms of Jesus Christ is so much greater than that. As noble and as awesome as the themes were of, of defeating evil in, in World War II, how much greater is, is the call of God in our lives to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to take the gospel next door and across our streets, to serve our neighbors, to live godly lives and demonstrate the love of God in our communities. That's the great calling that is on our lives. And so Jesus is saying, if you haven't believed that, it's time to pick a side. And if you've picked a side, then it's time to get in the fight and start serving. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day again. God, we thank you for all your many blessings, your kindnesses to us. God, we thank you for the fact that you have called us into your service. God, that, that you have, um, God, not because of our worthiness in any way, but you have allowed us to, to uh, be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of your people, God, and to, to be about the calling and the mission that you put on our lives. Father, I thank you for the churches around Blank County um, every single Sunday that are about the work of the gospel. Uh, I thank you for for uh, churches like the ones that that friends and and brothers from from this church who have who have moved on to serve vocationally in churches like First Baptist Alcoa, um, uh, Mount Olive Baptist Church. God, we pray for the ministries of those churches. We pray that you would use uh, Cody and Tanner and and other pastors in those churches um, to continue to to bring the message of the gospel to. Um, to our community. Father, the fact that you continue to love us um, by sending your, your word and your witness into the world um, is, is a mercy beyond anything that we could have hoped for, God. And we ask that you would help us to be a part of that. God, that you would give us courage and boldness in these things, that you would give us humility and winsomeness. God, that we would take up uh, the the mantle, and that we would that we would um, step into these situations, God, that, that you have called us to to take your word into, God, that we would be witnesses, we would be light, that we would be salt, God, that we would love and and care, and in all these things, speak truth into people's lives. God, help us to answer your call. We thank you, we praise you, we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, right now, um, 
Marlon's going to come up and close us in our last song. But if you've got um, kids and you want to go get them next door at, at Flex Space and bring them back for our baby dedication at the end of the service, you can go ahead and do that now. Um, and But other than that, uh, let's worship together. Please stand and sing the closing song. <clears throat>
get a little more wiggly in here all of a sudden. Like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, one of the things that sometimes gets questioned is, is um, uh, why do we do baby dedications? Um, we're uh, Baptists in our ecclesiology and our understanding of, of, of the ordinances. Uh, we don't baptize uh, babies. We, we, we baptize believers in our tradition. So, so are, is this just like a fake baby baptism? Is that what we're doing or something? Um, and it's not, um, it's, it's honestly, in many ways, it's not even something that we find in the scripture specifically. Okay. But we see the idea of it in lots of different places. When we look to the old Testament, we see numerous stories of, of believers in the old Testament, dedicating their children to the Lord, basically saying, God, I'm entrusting you with my child. I'm, I'm, I'm handing over my child into your care. All right. And so there are images of that all through the scriptures. Um, there's even the idea, and obviously it's not exactly what we're talking about here, but there's even the idea that we see in the Old Testament of the idea of the firstborn child having to be bought back from God um, because we owe our firstborn children to the Lord. They belong to him. And so we, we sort of buy them back um, in terms of our, our offerings and sacrifices. Um, and that goes back all the way to the Exodus and, and to the Passover story and all those things like that. So that's not what we're doing here, but but we see the idea of, of baby dedications all through the scriptures. So what we're doing now is, is one, we're asking something of God in this. We're praying that God would, would do something in our families, okay? But we're also recognizing that as parents, we have entered into covenant with God to care for our children, that our children belong to the Lord and that he has allowed us into uh, to be a part of their life uh, for a time and that we are basically the stewards of the our children for God, you could say, okay? And so that's kind of what we acknowledge. And then finally, we acknowledge it as a congregation. We are also a part of that, that we bear responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ and their families for these things, okay? So what we're going to do is, is I'm going to have, I'm going to call out each family. If you would just kind of come and, and, and form an arc here around the front, and, um, and then we're going to read through a, a charge, if you will. All you respond is, is with, we do. That's what you'll say. Um, there will be uh, several charges to the families and then one charge to the congregation. And then we'll pray and then we'll be, we'll be dismissed. Okay. So you can just kind of come and, and start fanning out up here as I call your name. So first off, um, Eliza, uh, Elias Joseph Taylor and the whole family can come down. Parents, Stephen and Kristen, brothers and sisters, Seth and Silas and Eliza and Rosalie. Joanna Christine Gilland, mom and dad Trenton Megan, and baby brother or big brother Asher, Bo Everett Hillard, with mom and dad Nick and Alyssa, William Kyle Anderson. With mom and dad, Kyle and Bethany. Asher Wesley Hodges. With mom and dad, Casey and Angie and big sister, Eden. Ivy Effler. With Jordan and Emily Effler as as guardians and prayerfully parents, 
um, and, and big brothers and sisters, Ellie, Seth, and Thomas. And lastly, Emily Jane Stoltz with mom and dad, James and Abby, and big brother Lucas. That's a lot of folks. And that's a blessing. It's, it's obviously we've got more than, than maybe normal up here because, because we've had a year of COVID. And so we've, we've had a lot of babies that were born and we had to hold off in the process, but, um, encourage you to take pictures of these, these families. Um, obviously some of us didn't have families here today to take pictures. And so it'd be awesome if you would take pictures of them and send them to them. I'm sure that would be an encouragement to them. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to read these charges to you. And if you confirm these things, you'll answer we do at the end. All right. So parents, do you today recognize these children as the gifts of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessings? Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you all, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they will belong wholly to God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's fatherly help, you will bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love to build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives. Do you promise to provide through God's blessings for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children, looking to your own heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, and strength to serve them and not to use them? Do you promise God helping you to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace, your children will come to trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins and for the fulfillment of all his promises to them, even eternal life. And in this faith, follow Jesus as Lord and obey his teachings. And Pleasant Grove at College Street, as members of the body of Christ, and the family of God, will you promise to do all in your power? to assist these parents in their covenant by praying for their children and living exemplary, exemplary lives before them. Amen. Well, let me pray for us and, and I'll, uh, I'll close this. So father God, we thank you for these beautiful families. God, we thank you for these precious children. Father, we ask that as, as, uh, a community, as a church, as family, as mothers and fathers, God, that you would give us the grace, wisdom, power, uh, and patience, God, to, to love and care for these children, whether they are our friends, whether they are our family, God, that we would be a witness of the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ to these, um, precious little children. God, that you would help us in every way, um, to, to serve and lead them. And God, that you would watch over each of these, these lives. God, that you would care, protect, provide. God, most importantly, that you would lead each one of them to your son, Jesus Christ, that they would know him truly, believe in him faithfully, God, trust on him for salvation, and live a life uh, where they follow and honor him. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We'll hear this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you turn his face towards you, and give you peace. We'll see you next week.